0: What is going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintick.net. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber Text line. We are back, Dranser. We are back for the start of the post Bo Horvat era for the Vancouver Canucks. Had last week off, recorded a quick emergency podcast uh, when the Bo Horvat news dropped, which was very exciting. And now we're like we're we're rested. I don't want to say tanned. I don't think either of us look tanned. You do. You do a little bit. I, I always look a little tanned. <laughs> we're, we're we're rested and ready for the final part of the Canucks season here. It's going to be a slog. I'm going to be honest with you. Like I
1: I, I I'm. You know a- what I
0: will say though. To me, it feels like less of a slog with the Boudreaux and Horvat situations out of the way. Yeah, I don't know. Now we're still. I said I didn't say not a slog. I said less of a slog. But if we're still if we if we had come back and we were still talking about both of those things, like that is a real slog. No, but uh, you know what? I see. I disagree with you because then at least we'd have
1: the anticipation. We'd still be on the way up the roller coaster. <laughs> Instead, we're now like we hands up going on, down the roller coaster. Except the roller coaster is like the
0: children's roller coaster. You know, it's it's like what are the stakes here? I gotta say, I I took my daughter on the children's roller coaster at the uh, at Playland this summer, I was like, this is. Surprisingly thrilling. (laughs) I was not prepared for this. This is a little more than I was thought I was getting into. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, (laughs) What? Well, look. (laughs) Okay, okay. So if you
1: have a if you have a Jamie like appetite for mild food and children's rides, no, I like real roller coasters too. I was just saying I was like pleasantly surprised. I was like, all right, I can get it. I can get into
2: this. Anyways, I I like
1: the big ones where you get to sit in the front seat, like the the like. Big like hundred foot drops at Playland yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You get to sit in the front seat. Those are good. Those they're very good. Uh, anyways, by <laughs> $650, $650. the express <laughs> pass and just ride <laughs> Leviathan. We 10 got games. we have
0: a week of content built up and we got <laughs> to <laughs> come back and here we are roller coaster a roller coaster no, no, talk.
1: Look, okay, so very seriously though, I'm trying to think of like what ride the Canucks the rest of the Canucks <laughs> season is like. Is it, it, it maybe it's the pirate ship
0: or like um, I'm this thinking is, the pirate ship. Well, the pirate. I was thinking just one of the ones that's, like, pure family no thrills. Like, at Disney World, like, it's small Teacups? World. Yeah. But even teacups, it's like, you're spinning it. You're having a little bit of fun. <laughs> like, small world is just, like, you're just floating by some stuff. Yeah, yeah, and You're then, just kind of passively, like, oh, hey, you know what? some stuff. There's lo- some stuff. I like that, too, because
1: I don't know if you read The Athletic, but my-, my Of course, uh, always. Friend of the show, or or frenemy of the show, Cam Chiron, <laughs> um <laughs> wrote a really good piece Where, like, what's great about Cam is he takes the hockey so seriously, right? So he's giving the Canucks, like, the same level of attention that you'd give them if they were contending, right? Like, if this was a season where the suspense wasn't how low can they go in the standings, right? And I thought he really did an interesting job breaking down some of the things to watch for. Most notably, like, can Rick Tockett fix some of this club's issues on the rush? Mm -hmm. I'm convinced it's personnel-based. I'm willing to be convinced I'm wrong. But... We need to see this club attack and, and stop bleeding chances against on the rush, which, by the way, is not going to happen tonight. Uh, massive speed disadvantage for the Canucks tonight in Newark. But overall, I think that's a, a good thing to watch for. Bovillier, by the way, looks like he's going to be inserted both onto power play one in the bumper spot and onto Pedersen and Kuzmenko's wing in sort of what has been Ilya McKayev's spot. I think Bovillier is a better offensive player than Ilya Mikheyev. Well, I mean, I think if
0: you look at their past production in the league, I don't think that's or just particularly controversial. I mean, certainly Bovillier be. came into the league with that reputation but, based but on McHaev, his junior career.
1: But had two more productive yeah. offensive seasons than Bovillier. But- I mean—
0: would it surprise anyone to see Beauvillier go with Pedersen and Kuzmenko and, and pop off a bit the rest play of well. the way? Like, he's going to play well. Wouldn't surprise anybody, I don't I, think.
1: I, I like his game a lot. I think he's going to succeed there. And I think that's going to sort of pose some interesting questions. And then other than that, we're sort of left to, t- to talk about, like, the small picture items at the deadline. Like, one thing I think this club did, and and I suspect it was pretty conscious, was to get their shopping done early, mm-hmm. right? Like Like, well before their Christmas shopping is done the day after Black Friday, right? Like, Kuzmenko's situation settles. He's been extended. Horvat is gone. Rick Tockett is in. Bruce Boudreau is gone, and all of a sudden, sort of the question marks still lingering are deeply unsexy, right? Well, actually, I don't. I don't know if I agree with that because, as, well, relatively speaking, compared to Horvat and Kuzmenko yes. and Boudreau, sure. we're talking about Shen and Ethan Bear, and
0: you know, well, or maybe Brock, Brock Besser. Brock Besser, maybe that to me that's the one that makes it. I would keep it out of the unsexy realm. I just,
1: me. I just think it's going to be so hard to do that with the money involved that it's not one that I can like sort of really um, wrap my head around as like a, a distinct
0: possibility.
1: You know, it's, it's one of those where back all around if the Canucks can take care of it, but moving money right now is so difficult.
0: Well, and I mean, the question is, like, they had to take. What back, does it look like? Yeah, they had they,
1: to take back four. They had to make the Horvat trade cap, cap neutral. Cap neutral, and Horvat's the third leading scorer in the NHL. Like, what? This environment is wild right now.
0: Yeah. That's the question. It's uh, like, I don't, uh, you can move Brett Besser by the deadline. Just how unappealing do you want to make it for you, right? (laughs) Put it this way the three biggest
1: contracts that have been traded this season have been traded by the Vancouver Canucks or acquired by, they've, they are involved in the three most like significant cap wise trades of the season. So credit to them. Like, if anyone can move cap right now, Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvine have shown that it's them. But we're talking about, like, 1.4 million indifference in the Dickinson deal, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about, what, 1.8 million indifference in the Bear deal and absolute net neutral in the Horvat deal? Like, that's the world we live in right now. It's all gummed up. So, you know, the idea of the Canucks finding a taker for 6.66 million worth of Brock Besser, you know, sure, it's sexy, but it feels pie in the sky. Like, I, I'm not looking for the Canucks to find ways to carve out additional cap space before the deadline. Because I don't really think it's likely. Like, I just think it's such a remote possibility based on how we've seen the market function to this point. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm not saying the club's not going to try. They definitely are. It's just that I wouldn't be counting on that over the course of the next month. So we're sort of in this point where, you know, and to, to bring it back to um, it's a small world after all, <clears throat> right? The, the, the ride. It's like, now we're going to be talking about, like, signs of leadership from Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson and signs of progress under Rick Tockett.
0: Yeah, and faci- and Pod Coles and Neil Oman right. come back up, right? W-
1: w- what happens with, with Abbotsford? Like, but it's all, you know, it's all it's all important. It's just all kind of smaller stuff that we've got to look forward to over the course of the, of the next 33 games. And, you know, I mean, it'll be okay. It's just... <laughs> Maybe I'm just coming off vacation. I'm well, sorry look, for being so grumpy. I will say this. I... I'll i get excited about it once it's in front of me. Mm. I'm just like in anticipation of it. I'm like, Ugh.
0: One thing that I appreciate, and we, I think we mentioned this a little bit on the emergency podcast, but when you look at all of the big items that they've checked off their list, and I would even extend that to the, shutting Ilya Mikheyev down, at least we know like this is not an organization hell-bent on trying to win a bunch of games down the stretch. Like to me, at least that we have that frame of reference—that okay, we are focusing on these different things and we are asking these other questions. I don't want—I'm not even trying to give them credit necessarily. I just mean, like, from my perspective, okay, that helps me engage more in a way than if it was yep. just like, oh, we're pretending we're eight games out of the playoffs in in March or something. You know what I mean? Or eight points out of the playoffs. Like, right. at least we all know what we're doing here, and it's not. Oh man, you know, pedal to the metal and try to make up some ground here. Well, but we'll see. I mean, that's sort of where the Horvat deal is. I've had a week now to stew on it,
1: right? <laughs> yes. The 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 Horvat deal, like the the sort of catchphrase that stands out in my head when I think about it was is is necessary but insufficient. Sure. Right? It's it's something the club had to do and kudos to them. I thought the return was totally fine. I thought they got a piece with the sort of upside that can make it uh, a home run with the draft pick in particular uh you know i i have time for Aturatu, ratu and by the way i always have time for the player whose skating is a concern at the age of 20. Mm. like first of all nhl players are amazing skaters but t- technically there's a lot of guys who can get around without technically perfect strides
0: you know the alias the, the, peterson Right. You ever you hear somebody who's like really dialed in on skating mechanics talk about Elias Petterson's stride? Yeah. They're not a fan. and They don't wins, like it.
1: And he wins more than his share of puck battles.
0: Yeah. Well, and
1: and also just for everybody by the way, the idea of and I'm um, you can't see me unless you're watching on the stream, but uh, in scare quotes, the power skating coach, that's a thing of the past. They don't call them that anymore. All right. right? Technical skating consultants. Just just want to let everyone know. Um Shout out to Barb Edelbaum, <laughs> local, local Vancouver technical Tactical skating, skating consultant. consultant or specialist. Anyway, um, I don't worry about that. I, I I think Ratu's a really interesting prospect. Clearly, this organization's best prospect now, by the way. Like, clearly. I don't think oh, it's yeah. close. Especially because I don't consider Hoaglander and Pod Colson who aren't even called her eligible prospects. So, like, I like that trade, but it... I still think there's a extent to which, you know, what, what's what been our most common criticism of how this organization's managed itself, like stuck in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so you've got these two data points that are conflicting just from the last two weeks, the Kuzmenko extension and the Horvat trade, right? And what I'm really curious to see, I suppose, between now and the deadline is, does can, is that going to be harmonized in a way that sort of points to something more substantive here? Or are we still living in a world where this organization is going to re-engage Luke Shen's camp on on extension talks as opposed to pulling the trigger there? Or is going to, you know, uh, run past the deadline with guys like Dermot and Ethan Bear who aren't slam dunks to qualify as opposed to trading them as uh, expirings? Is the club going to be reluctant to use their cap space? And Ilya Mikheyev was put on LTI Mm -hmm. yesterday. That move actually had to happen to facilitate Oman- Pod Colson and D Giuseppe coming up from Abbotsford, right? Like they're actually using some of that cap space with those three guys now on the roster. But you've got four million ish, according to capfriendly.com, in additional space to use right now. And that can balloon further with Tanner Pearson. Yes. So like one thing this team sort of has going for it too is this ability to take back money. And I think there's, that opens up all sorts of really interesting options to, like, juice returns.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a fascinating thing to watch, what they do, if anything, with that, right? Because, you know, you were just laying out how incredibly difficult it's been for teams to move money. Like, and it doesn't have to be, it's not like you have to take back an $8 million contract to help people out, right? No. Like if you take on, take on $2 million, that's extraordinarily valuable this time of year to have the space to be able to do that. Well, or take on, you
1: know, one thing One thing to note, too, is, like, someone else's problem could be a player that actually helps the Canucks. Yeah, you know, like what, like what, this is just me, on cap, cap friendly, going through teams and just like spitballing to myself yesterday while I was on the flight. Um, like Boston's got a got a guy in Mike Riley, who's makes three million this year and next. Mm-hmm. Left-handed defender, so not like a huge need for the Canucks necessarily, but also not a small need for the Canucks necessarily. And the guy moves the puck. Like the guy is primarily. A guy who is able to help you transition. Well, the Canucks need that. The Canucks desperately need that, right? I mean, is there a world where you could manage Oliver ekman Larson's minutes better next season? Like, even have him third pair, top penalty kill. Like, really manage his minutes so that you maybe get 82 games, looking more reminiscent of of what he did in the first half of uh of and and sort of again down the stretch during uh, the Boudreau yep. era, his first Vancouver season. Like, uh, to me, there's potential value there. And if that guy helps the Bruins make another trade or if that guy comes back and you're sending them a Luke Shen, does that help you upgrade the third to a second or the second to something better than a second? (laughs) Those are the sorts of things that this organization is going to have the ability to do. And I'm really curious to see if the moves over the next five weeks, we're really doing this as like, let's get back into it and talk about what we're looking forward to. But. Truly, like one thing I'm really curious to see is if the moves between now and the deadline point to a direction more cogent than the two biggest transactions the team has
0: made. Well, because I think I I agree with you because it feels like we're kind of waiting for the next domino to fall after the Horvat one because Horvat, we'll talk about the extension he signed yesterday in a minute here the dynamics of what his contract was going to be were so overwhelming. Like all of the arrows, all of the weight was pushing towards they had to trade Bo Horvat. So it doesn't feel as definitively we're willing to take a step back. We're willing to be bad for a couple of years as it might otherwise, because there was just, it was going to be so phenomenally difficult for the Canucks to do that deal. And that's why I think the next moves will potentially tell us a lot about what this team is doing right and it's how they use that LTIR cap space you know what happens with Luke Shen Besser and Garland we know they've been trying to get off them but I think even then like let's say you do move Brock Besser. Do you take back a player who has, you know, the same amount of term left on his deal, but you think could be really useful for you? Or do you find other ways to make the math work that maybe give you a little bit more future flexibility, right? There's still different ways to do that deal that we can read different things into. I mean, heck that's your Demko's name has been out there. Like I wouldn't anticipate that happening before the deadline, but it's at least something that's been floated that I didn't think we're going to hear floated in a meaningful way. So I do think there are, you know, the next moves that we see, and this extends to the deadline, but then also obviously to the summer and and free agency and well, all that are going to tell us a lot. If that happens, you're rebuilding. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know Look, you, we've I, seen what this team
1: looks like without Andrew Demko, and, and I know you've been on the. If you're trading Bo Horvat, you're rebuilding, but like you're not yet. You know, if you if you yeah. trade Bo Horvat, but also sign Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, Miller, yes. Besser. And take back both. You can tell yourself deal, you're not rebuilding. Yeah, yeah, you can at least yeah, exactly. You, you <laughs>
0: But if you trade Thatcher Demko, like you can't come out and be like, oh no, we're retooling on the fly. It's like, no, 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 no. You're rebuilding. <laughs> you yeah. come on, let's all be honest about the, this. The only case for this team
1: to punch above their weight, like next season, for example, is Thatcher Demko returns and the club goes from being one of the worst, you know, goaltended teams in the league to being one of the best. And yep. man, that makes a huge difference. And by the way, it does. Like it does, no question. So, uh, not that this team's issues are in net. Let's be absolutely clear about that. Now, yeah. So you're right. There's there's some there's some suspense. Yeah. There's. I, I, yeah. I, I'm gonna ge- I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you more than the. This is more than the. It's um, a small world. It's a small world ride. This we is, had a, we had a. a it's bunch. more than
0: the gondola. <laughs> Uh, a couple of people texted in the Gravitron, and, and Chris in the hoof said, it's the Gravitron. You're stuck to the wall, pit in your stomach, feeling sick and helpless, <laughs> constantly spinning in the same place. That's from Chris in the hoof. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, the Demco one is pretty speculative at this point, but, like, that is a a massive, yeah. massive deal if it happens.
1: It, it, it would be speculative if it wasn't coming from the most reliable
0: sure. people in the industry.
1: But because, sure. because the name is being floated directly by... The likes of Elliot Friedman, mm-hmm. I'm taking it a little more seriously it's, than just. It's very
0: interesting. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, I did want to talk about the Horvat extension. I mentioned it there. It's no, maybe there's a little bit of sticker shock for some people at the same time. What were you expecting? Like this seems pretty in line. With what we uh, what we are hearing. It's not a market detonating deal. No, like, it doesn't,
1: doesn't it feel like it. It's no, no. It's absolutely not. In fact, you know, so. We're seeing the value of centerman spike so significantly on the trade market, mm-hmm. right? And I think we're going to see the value of centerman spike in terms of valuation, contract valuation,
0: over the next year or two. I think we're already beginning to see. Well, what I would say is we've talked so much about how the value of wingers has cratered. That money's got to be spent somewhere else. Like, that money is going to be sent well, somewhere else. If, if teams are reluctant to spend on wingers, they're going to transfer that salary to centers and defensemen.
1: But for the most part, that value has collapsed on wingers. On the trade market. On the trade market, right? Like, Kachuk still got paid and got a haul. Now, he was he's, well, a, he's, he's a special yeah. case. But, I mean, I, I still think it's really the trade market value of wingers that has collapsed. Wingers have s- still got paid throughout last summer. Um you know, and, and, and frankly, over the last month, I mean, Andre Kuzmenko still got 5.5. So, you know, the valuation in terms of how teams value trade chips hasn't necessarily translated yet to centerman entirely. It has a little bit. I mean, we now live in a world where both Strom brothers are $25 million players. <laughs> so that's for, for sure, like, coming. But Horvat at 8.5, like, this is the zabanejad comp. So it's like, if you're a really strong... You know, I've always called Bo Horvat a low-end first-line center. Mm-hmm. I know that always was something controversial in the text message inbox. People hate Bo Horvat getting credit from me. I don't know why. But Bo Horvat would have made Team Canada and also fringe second-line, uh, for fringe first-line center, low-end first-line center. Feel free to blow up the 650, 650 inbox on that. He's, he's going to score 50 goals. And his and in his contract year, he doesn't even break the Zabanajad comp. Right? I mean, Bo Horvat's comps going into this season before the offensive mushroom clouds surrounded him with what he's accomplished this year were couturier 7.75 and hurdle you know roughly 8.15 so i mean you, you go on this unholy goal scoring tear and add 350k to your market value i mean it's not i think the sense of sticker shock makes some sense but i don't actually think this deal is out of line with what we're seeing, generally speaking, from from centerman valuations. And, and in fact, I suspect that we're going to see some other centerman over the course of the next few months at least equal what – like, let me put it to you this way. Pierre-Luc Dubois in Winnipeg's almost point per game on a team that's absolutely crushing it, and he's an RFA. So he's got one RFA mm-hmm. here to mm-hmm. uh, somewhat restrain. To manage, yeah. Somewhat restrain his, his overall valuation is he coming in higher or lower because of Horvat or was he always coming in eight plus at 8 million? I mean, I, I would say he was always coming in at eight plus. Like, yeah. I don't know that Pierre-Luc Dubois representatives are popping bottles as a result of the Horvat comp now being in the water. Um, You know, you think about Dylan Larkin, right. And, and his camp, and they're probably looking at, you know, Barzell at 9.15 who, you know, they're represented by the same folks. And now Horvat at 8.5, and it's like, okay, like, are we in that range? Like, I guess it's sort of narrowed our valuation, but they're probably still hoping to beat the Horvat comp. I would think so, yeah. I just don't think that this deal fundamentally reset the center market, and I think what's going to be really interesting is seeing what this summer looks like with Dubois, with Larkin, Larkin, and sort of the guy that I'm most interested in is actually Trevor Zegras down in Anaheim. Because Zegras is expiring, right? He's on his ELC. Yeah. 0.77 points per game over the course of his ELC, which is like well behind what Elias Pedersen signed for or what produced, for example. And yet the Ducks are all in on accumulation, rebuild, right? Stack the decks for the future. So you'd think that they'd eschew a bridge deal. They're they're
0: And sp- it's not like they have cap issues. You no. know what I mean? They they can do it. They have a, they've got the There's room. There's
1: no benefit to them doing a bridge deal given how they're positioned and what Verbeek is doing to build that team mm-hmm. and accumulate assets. So, you know, here's where this gets interesting is Tim Stutzla signed for 8.3 plus before this season off of two years of his uh, first two years of his entry level deal. And by the way, that bet's looking pretty good. He's playing incredible hockey for mm-hmm. the Ottawa Senators right now. Zegras has outproduced him by a fair bit <laughs> over his ELC versus what Stutzla accomplished in two years of his, right? I mean, we're talking about the the gap between, at the time that Stutzla had agreed to the deal, 0.66 versus 0.77 points per game. Like, there's a real case for Zegras to blow up uh, what we're looking at in terms of the center market in a similar way to what Rob Thomas and, and all the other, you know, Josh Norris at 7.9 and Kachuk at 8+. plus. Uh, sort of did over the course of this past summer. And that, to me, sort of hints at one of the big takeaways that I had watching or reading Twitter and looking in, at the language of the Bohorvat deal and the lack of signing bonuses on it and on and on, which is, you know, to really underline just how crucial and how expensive this team's negotiations are going to be when they shape up with Elias Petterson this summer. Because that's the other guy...
0: Who I think has a chance to blow up the market. Yeah, it's uh, the Patterson thing is going to be fascinating. And the other part of that is there's been so much talk about, okay, hey, they just traded their captain. Who's going to be the new captain of the team? I would be pretty surprised. Actually, I'd be very surprised if they name a captain this year. You can't. I don't think you can until you figure out what's going on with Elias Patterson. But like that's more leverage that he has. He's the he's the guy. He's the obvious guy. To me, the only reason you don't name Elias Petterson going into next year is if you don't think he's gonna stick around. Right? If you're able to get an extension done, boom, day one, he's your captain. Or you wanna roll it all out together. Sure, right? like
1: like or or you wanna have the discussion, right? Like we're gonna have a well, wider right, but, uh, discussion about I mean, your future
0: here. This year you're not doing anything with the captain. Get to the summer, talk about Elias Pettersson, and figure out Is he going to stick around long term? If so, he's our captain. If not, then we got to go back to the drawing board. But to me, not that he needs extra leverage, but that's just another piece of leverage that Elias Pettersson has, right? Like, he's the obvious guy. You want me to be the captain? You want me to be the face of the franchise? They're going to have to pay. They're going to have to pay a lot to make it worth his while to stick around. Let's get into
1: this a little more on the other side because the Devils are an interesting contrast and the Canucks play them
0: returning from the All-Star break this evening in Newark. We will talk a little bit more about that. Keep getting your texts in as well. It is Canuck Stock here on Sportsnet 650.
3: Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. 650, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Sportsnet 650 has teamed up with the Clayton Public House in Surrey to bring you the big football party on Super Sunday, February 12th. That's this Sunday hosted. By our own Randy Janda, you can reserve your table now at Claytonpub.com. There will be tailgate and drink specials plus special prizes throughout the day. Kickoff at 3.30. The Clayton Public House. Good food, good people, good times. Uh, as you mentioned, the Canucks playing the New Jersey Devils tonight. And look, I mean, they're in tough <laughs> against a really good Devils team. And not just a really good Devils team. But a Devils team that is stylistically an extraordinarily difficult matchup uh, for the Canucks with their inability to play fast, uh, their lack of speed, especially on the back end. The Devils are all about speed. We know that. Um, I think this is.
1: I think this is the toughest game that they have in the Greater New York area this week, and by some margin. The Devils it's, are. It's a, Devils, a really hard matchup. The, the Devils, Devils are a good team. Devils might. Devils might be, a contender caliber team.
0: The Devils have the third best points percentage in the NHL right now. So you know, if you're there at this point in the season and, y- and you're at least can, got a fighting chance. And like, yeah, I guess you'd
1: love to see them upgrade a net. Yep. You know, in a vacuum, like if you were saying, What are you worried about if you're if you're considering, you know, placing like a Stanley Cup futures bet on a team, you'd be like, Uh, do I trust Vitali Vanacek? You know, and and not unreasonable, by mm-hmm. the way. Not an unreasonable thing to um to worry about but you know i think the devils are are absolutely up there in terms of being a fringe contender and hey by the way vegas does too plus 1100 for context on on how high vegas is on the devils tampa bay lightning plus 1200 they have better stanley cup odds
0: than this than the tampa bay lightning That's actually remarkable. That's really, really surprising. But you know what? It's it's not wrong. Well, I'm part of that, and I'm just looking at it Like, that's too efficient. The market's too efficient. I'm sorry. The top five teams in the NHL by points percentage, all in the Eastern Conference. And of course, as we've heard uh, Leafs fans (laughs) moan about, uh, Tampa and Toronto is locked in. So one of those top five teams is going to be out in the first round. Um, That's just how it is we're not going to have the playoff format debate right now, but uh, that's the reality. And you, that might be, that might factor into the Vegas odds. as do well. Do you know if you did the one to eight
1: Tampa and Toronto are still playing each other,
0: <laughs> it would be four and five. It totally would. So like, I, I really, <laughs> that's actually
1: amazing. There's only one playoff series that flips from the current format. Yeah. If you go one to eight, like it's such a small change, all things considered. I hate this talking point. I well, hate I
0: hate the whining about the playoff well, the format. If, if they were second and third in the Eastern Conference, like I'd have more time for it. But right now they're fourth and fifth in the Eastern Conference, so it's like, well, that's that's who gets matched up. <laughs> like <laughs> that's how it happens.
1: By the underlying numbers, when the Vancouver Canucks won the President's Trophy in a one through eight format mm-hmm. in 2011 and then again in 2012, they faced what would really be considered teams. the first or second best team in the West. One of them went on to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, the other won the Stanley Cup the year prior, and then again the year out into 2013. Like, come on, yeah, there, it's there's no way of seeding the playoffs that's like properly rewarding teams unless you do a plan, which you should do. That's the only format change they should consider. Uh, so, anyways, I
0: think we all know teams hate what to players expect, hate it though. eh? you saw the, the division, yeah? The, well, they hate the plan. Yeah.
1: They also hate the division, but they also hate the idea of a play-in. But the play-in's the best way to reward the teams that finish at the top of the standings. I did
0: love... Uh Gary Batman being like, well, you know, I saw the players pull, so we, we couldn't possibly consider it with how against it the players are. It's like, oh, so you mean you'll you'll definitely be going to the Olympics, said Gary. Because yeah, all of and, a sudden, it's all about what the players want. And you'll definitely be shortening the season. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, it's all about the players. Uh, anyways, we all know what to expect out of the Devils. A lot of speed, going to put a ton of pressure on the Canucks back end. That's like looking at it from tonight's perspective. I mean, I'm really curious to see, you know, Pat Colson back in the lineup, what the team looks like without Bo Horvat out there to take every other draw. That's going to be fascinating. Um, is but it from a big picture? Yeah, <laughs> for me, it is Come from on. a big picture perspective. The devils are also a really interesting kind of foil to what the Canucks have been through. I don't know. What are, how long do we want to draw the timeline back? Like eight years, last decade, however well, long we're talking about.
1: I mean, the devils haven't c- clinched a playoff spot yet. Obviously they will make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they've made it once? They made it in two thousand what, eighteen?
0: Yes, I think so.
1: I should remember because they broke my heart. Anyway, yeah, they just wouldn't lose down the stretch. It was so frustrating. As a uh, as uh, a someone who worked for the Panthers, as, at some, the time, as yeah. someone who worked for the team that finished ninth in the Eastern yeah. Conference, um, yeah. So what? Colson's playing with Drys and Brock Besser. That's what it looked like yesterday. Okay, Drys is good. I like Drys. <laughs> we need we need to give Drys more shine. I am not even kidding. He's <laughs> you know what you know what Drys can do. Drys can actually effectively connect play, which like the Canucks don't do well in the neutral zone.
0: Yeah, he's a good offensive player, or like good, whatever. He's a he's an NHL offensive player. I think there's major concerns about. Play driving and you know well, two-way I, two-way impact, but like he is what he is. I mean, I'm not trying to throw the guy under the bus. No, he's a he's, he's a, an organizational depth player. He's a
1: tough he's a tough little guy who can connect plays, get the puck moving in the right direction. I and and you know what? There's a lot of players on this Canucks team that don't do that well enough. Like that's one of the biggest issues this team has. So yeah, I'll, I'll, sure. Anyway the Canucks are going to be in really tough against this devil's team just because the devil's feast off the rush mm-hmm. and Jack Hughes and Jesper Brat are just about as creative regrouping quickly and attacking quickly. And this blue line's good at retrievals and getting the puck moving in the right direction quickly. And they rebuilt it over two years. And there's an awful lot of contrast between the Canucks and the devils that I think is worth noting. And, and sort of the main one for me sort of connects to the Horvat conversation we were having and, and the Pedersen factor that looms over this team's head, which is, you know, Jack Hughes, who's a legit heart trophy candidate this season, mm-hmm. right? Like I say that, but it sort of needs the qualifier of like, McDavid's going to win. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing cooler than McDavid not winning it last year. And then Sort of spending this off season, being like, I'm going to be the I'm best score more goal goals. scorer. Yeah, like I'm going to no, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to win the Rocker yeah. Rashard by a factor of twenty goals over over number two. I think that's cool as anything. That might be the coolest thing we've seen in hockey in fifteen years. Like people will bring up the like it's like Crosby getting good at faceoffs thing, except getting good at faceoffs and being like, hey, I'm the top point producer, but this year I'm just going to score sixty five goals. They're different things. Lots of players improve
0: at faceoffs as they get older.
1: One is way cooler. Yes. Like, we just have to say, I, I've never seen anything like this. It's incredible what, what McDavid is doing. Anyway, I would probably call Jack Hughes at this point Elias Pettersson's absolute peer. I don't know, like, in a vacuum you'd take Hughes ahead because Hughes is younger by a couple years, but I think they're basically, like, equivalent players.
0: Yeah, I mean... Would you put Hughes, Hughes ahead of, have him? Well, Hughes is having the better year right now, and he's younger. So I think he gets the nod. He gets passes in stride that Elias Petterson
1: couldn't dream of but I think unless it's... he's
0: getting them from Hughes' brother. I think it's very close. It's very, very close. I, and yeah. I will say Petterson has – not that – Jack Hughes is a defensive liability or anything, but I think Pedersen has more of that two-way all-situation upside. Jack Hughes is, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to slam Jack I, Hughes. I don't know. We need to see more of it. Pedersen's defensive fair. game has not been as good as the headlines this season. I'm sorry, like, it's just true. But I, I do think he has that upside. Me too. So I think they're very comparable. Even though I think a lot of people would probably take Jack Hughes, I don't think it's ridiculous to put them in the same category by any stretch. Yeah, right? no, I, th- I consider them peers on yeah. True Town. By the way...
1: There is no worse rivalry in sports than Jack Hughes versus Quinn Hughes. <laughs> Those dudes root for each other and hate playing one another. Yeah, they're like they don't enjoy beating the other one. They want like they they legitimately watch each other's games. They watch Luke's games constantly. Mm-hmm. They are like the most supportive siblings you will ever meet. They are they are not this like rivalry has no relationship. To their actual relationship.
0: Sounds like New Jersey should uh, pick up the phone and make a call, <laughs>
1: <laughs> make an offer or two here. Okay, Jim Rutherford. <laughs> anyway, man, I've gotten way off track. This is Holden Caulfield level digression. <laughs> hey, did you did you do you watch the? Oh, zomb- we're doing more. All right. Yeah, sorry, we are. Do you watch the zombie show? Uh, the Last of Us. No, I don't. Okay. Well, there's a pun book that's like. A central figure that's like very much out in my wheelhouse anyway so Hughes is locked up right a legitimate heart trophy candidate he's probably you know he's gonna be a fringe finalist he's not gonna win but he's making eight million this year and he's making eight million for a long long time now Mm -hmm. Hughes sort of had a slow start to his career and that allowed the Devils to bet in a major way on him when his value was seen as a little bit low, but we all knew what Jack Hughes was. Like yeah. you, when you watch Jack Hughes in full flight, I mean, his game is like a hybrid between Taylor Hall and Patrick Kane, except he's a center. It's
0: incredible. Well, I was going to bring up um, when you were talking about Trevor Zegers. So in Jack Hughes's first two seasons, 21 points in 61 games, 31 in 56 the next year, he signed his extension,
2: in I November. think it was in November,
0: but he'd been injured. So he'd only played like two games yeah. in that season. So he's basically working off his first two years and like, yeah, slow start. Now, he's the number one overall pick. So you always get a little bit more runway and teams are going to bet on your upside more. Uh, but hey, Trevor Zegers was not a top 10 pick as well. So there's some of that effect there. But yeah, I mean, he got $8 million off of a not particularly produ- uh, impressive statistical profile in his first two years.
1: It was a massive whopper bet and it's paid off in a huge way. Um, and it's not just that they've got Hughes now it's not like they're you know long on all of their players because Jesper Bratz and RFA and that's super inconvenient with the explosion that he's had this season but they're also long on Nico Heischer who also came into the league as a first overall pick and sort of didn't necessarily show superstar potential and probably never will be a superstar he's just a really really good two-way centerman Mm -hmm. and that's amazing like that's a Hugely valuable asset seven point five ish. Yeah, for him, long they're long, so they've got fifteen and seven point
0: two five. Uh, okay, for Nico Heischer. So and that's and they and then he's four more years after this, so they have four more years of Hughes and Heischer at just over fifteen million combined. Ridiculous, right? This
1: is a huge sort of question. Like this is because because the Hughes dynamic from New Jersey's perspective. First of all, they got the lottery luck to draft him. Right, then they take advantage of him struggling on his Mm -hmm. ELC. Well, the Canucks had Pedersen, and Pedersen was like almost historically good, right? Like if Pedersen doesn't get hurt in that 2021 season, there's a real chance that he would have been like, along with Connor McDavid, the only guy in the hard cap era to be more than point per game over the life of his ELC. So the Canucks didn't get the slow start from Pedersen, but. They got that injury, right? And that gave them at least a, a somewhat of an opportunity to buy low. And instead, we all know what happened. The club was l- l- all in on making the playoffs this year and committed cap space to Garland, Oliver Ekman, Larson, Jason Dickinson. We all know the story. I don't have to get into
0: it. And that's in addition to previous commitments to Louis Erickson, Tyler Myers, etc. Well, no, but they got off those. No, no, no. Well, Louis Erickson they did, but Tyler Myers was still Oh, sure, still sure, the sorry. Yeah.
1: They got off er- Erickson, yeah.
0: though, and Sutter had expired. But
1: yes, you're right. So, tonight's game, I think, really sort of emphasizes the missed opportunity that the Canucks whiffed on in bridging Pedersen. A story that's going to dominate our next six months now. But really, it was the club that was reluctant to do it. Now, I don't know that Pedersen would have gone to eight without the Canucks paying a significant premium. But there was absolutely a path. There was absolutely a path to five to six. Um, You know, you get over $9 probably. But man, would you love to have that deal locked in? Would you love to have that cost certainty locked in? And and sort of as I think about this, um, you know, and as I think about this Zegras factor that we talked about too, like these pressures are coming that are going to keep – Pushing Pedersen's valuation up, and then there's cap uncertainty lingering on the horizon too. And we know that there's some uncertainty too with the NHLPA executive director. Mm-hmm. Looks like it's going to be the current uh, <laughs> secretary labor, of secretary, labor. Yeah. Um, so the NHLPA poaching someone from the Biden administration—pretty good look. Um, with regard to the PA. And the NHL, though, like, what does the cap look like? Is there going to be like a multi-year agreement on a predictable cap lift on smoothing as they move past the uh, sort of flat cap era? Like, that's all possible, and that could really throw throw you know nitrous <laughs> on this particular um, on this particular sort of set of factors. How does a team like Vancouver long term? In a world where Pedersen costs, like, let's go conservative. Let's say 11 yeah, on his next deal. How do you compete with the level of efficiency that a team like the Devils have built in now down the middle? Now, th- I know they're not in the division, but you've still got three years left of McDavid and Dreisaitl at 20. right? <laughs> like I mean, you've still got Beniers having, what, a, two years left or one year left on his ZLC? One year left on his ZLC, yeah. Right? Uh, you've got... To know at five in in L A, and then you've got whatever ta- uh, Anaheim's going to pull out with with their centerman. I mean, how do you manage this sort of championship caliber level of efficiency down the middle with Pedersen about to explode in terms of his valuation? Uncertainty about you know you've dealt Horvat now. You don't even know if Miller's a long term fit at center. I certainly don't know that. If the club thinks it is, like, I don't think that's open shut yet. And and sort of my big question is, how do you get to that level of efficiency down the middle without effectively starting again? Like, this is what I sort of can't figure out or wrap my head around. Like, I genuinely don't have the answer. And so, you know, it's it's just one of those things, like another reason why as I look at how this team is positioned and and, and I urge our audience to watch the Canucks game with this in mind tonight against the Devils, Like, is there another path that this team can take to match this club over the next three years that isn't sinking to the bottom of the standings intentionally and, and effectively starting over? Because it's not just where the Devils are today. It's also how they're positioned going forward, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the, the Canucks aren't just worse than the devils. They're not positioned to improve and pass the devils without a mess of elite talent and without landing a bunch of guys and then betting on them in a way where you have some runway to build around them before they get super expensive. And that's the pressure that sort of hurt this team that just cost them their captain, right? The rolling raises that Hughes and Petey and then Brock and then, Miller and on and on and you can't keep everybody like that's how the league works now. The Devils are the model of what it can look like if you bet early and often and get some get some hits in your direction. It can take a long time to get there, but now they're set to have a multi year runway. Like how do the Canucks get there without rebuilding? Like I don't have the answer.
0: I, I don't. I don't even think it's possible. I think you can do it with Pedersen in the fold now. Doran from Cumberland, Texas. I- I'm not saying you can't. Right. Well,
1: I'm not saying you can't, but it's going to be really hard. You're going to have to be super efficient everywhere
0: else. Yes. You're going to have to find those efficiency el- elsewhere. But, okay, so Doran from Cumberland, Texas. Does 8 by 12 get it done for Patterson? To me, that's still in the realm where you do that in a heartbeat because you think he's going to live up to that. and. Yeah. You know, the salary cap is going to keep going up, or at least there might be an agreement for the medium term for it to go up, right, or the short term. So you have some cost certainty in that respect, and he's still young enough where you're not worried about that precipitous decline, right? You can still get really good value out of that. And the thing is, the way you – like, to start building that style of team, I think you can do it around Elias Peterson because he's that good. We'll see how, you know, him taking on more of a leadership role – uh, goes all of those off ice things, that's important too. But if you have the opportunity to say, look, we'd rather have him at nine for four more years if, if you know, if we had done the the long term deal off at ZLC, yeah, of course we would. But eight by twelve is still worth trying to build around for Eli- on or Elias Patterson for me. I, I don't disagree with you. So long as
1: you pitch him on a plan that's not gonna pay off with winning Next year, hundred percent,
0: he has to which, be. Which, let's be real, and that's an and that's the question. He's, he's probably not going to buy
1: it anyway. If you say we're going to be competitive again next year, he's probably not going to yeah, buy it like anyway. You're
0: signing him long term. It would not be the situation where you're saying, okay, we got to be really good in the first two years because the back half of the deal is going to be brutal. No, you know know have what I mean? some runway. You're signing him for those full eight years, and he's got to be a partner in that process, right? But and I think he's good enough to earn to have earned that but it's a two-way street. He's got to be he's got to be into it. I think you're also doing it though or you should
1: be doing it with the, pro- the the awareness of the probability that by the time you're ready he's not
0: your best player. Yep. Absolutely. But hey, look, they're going to draft top 10 this year. I mean, we can talk about it. I know you think they might they might sneak up out of the top 10. We'll see now with Horvat out of the
1: lineup. We'll see what happens with Demko. I, I I mean, I don't know that I'd say they'll sneak up out of the top 10, but I I think sure. they're
0: not getting I don't think they're getting to the bottom five. That's for good. sure. That We're probably pretty aligned on yeah. that then. Like six, seven, eight is kind of where yep. I'm, I'm looking. So they're drafting a guy there. That's a chance to find the guy who can be your next best player. You'll get a really Far good player. Far from a guarantee, but you're going to get a really good player. They've got an extra draft pick. Like, they're starting to do those things which could allow you to have that success with Elias Pettersson still before he reaches 30. And may, maybe he won't be your best forward, but he'll still be really, really good. And on a contract that... It, you're never going to look at it as like the next Nathan McKinnon deal, like we're talking about with Jack Hughes. But we're also not probably not going to look at it as a contract that absolutely sinks you at that. No, point. no, no. Well, I, I don't. I never
1: think signing the really good players yeah, is what's going to kill you. Sinks you, no. I, unless unless it's truly out of time, like with your with your overall team building sort of window. Like J T. Miller is a really good player. 8 million's not a dramatic overpay for him. But with where this team was positioned. That was a really tough... And his age. is That's the big one. Well, right? Which I guess is... But it's not just... For me, it's not just his age. It's that it's that you need to make sure you win in the first three, four years of the deal. And this team was very likely to not do that. Yeah. Right? Where Whereas you had younger core players you didn't have cost certainty on, where, man, if you could have had flexibility and futures around them, then we're cooking in terms of the conversation about building around Elias Petterson Right? Then it's not a narrow path where you're you're trying to sort of navigate around the OEL Miller commitments as those guys age and they're already supporting level players based on their contributions this season. Like that's a real problem. That's a that's an intractable problem. And and this brings us to the last thing that I want to talk about and we don't have a ton of time. So I'm going to try and get through it quick, but if you're going to win in a hard cap league, you need players to be willing to play less or willing to take less to mm-hmm. stay with you, Brad Marchand got a, got a, uh, at this uh, right ahead of the All-Star break, uh, a comment that was widely shared. And Vancouver's really running uphill on this, not just because the team has struggled so mightily, although that's a huge part of it, and not just because of the pressures of this market, although that's also a part of it, but also because of cost of living, also because of uh, tax rates. Like th- There's not a ton of natural advantages, and yet there are other Canadian teams that are finding these efficiencies, right? That are getting the Ryan Nugent Hopkins deal done, that are getting the Mark Giordano deal done. Uh, the Canucks haven't found that at the moment. And, and the Horvat thing also sort of speaks to that, right? Like there has to be trust between a team and its players that any internal cap savings that the player nets by leaving a million dollars on the table is going to be invested wisely into helping you win, into facilities, into doing the right things that make it worth a player's time to consider staying with you for less. Like one of the one of the discussion points around Horvat that's really bothered me is this idea that like well, he wasn't serious about winning if he wanted to maximize his earnings, but you have to teach players that it's in their best interest to be with you for less, yeah. right? Like you can't you can't saddle a guy with Roussel making 12 million and Berchi making 12 million during their prime seasons. You can't bring in the likes of Tyler Myers for 30 million and Oliver Ekman Larson for mega money and sign JT Miller for 56 million. And then when it's their turn to get paid, say you're not serious about winning. Like that's not a compelling pitch. I have no time for that argument.
0: You got players don't take less as a favor. You got to make it worth their while. Like they're getting something out of it, whether yeah. it's the lower taxes, whether it's you know, hey, I really love this city, or it's I trust this organization to be competitive year after year. It's right? a chance to win. A chance to win. That you, but you have to give them a reason to want to take less Just quickly. Before we go again, even though it wouldn't be on that classic bargain internal cap structure deal, if you kind of turn the team over to Elias Petterson, make him the captain, get him on this long term extension. I think you can start to build that kind of environment around Elias Pedersen. Not that it's going to be easy. Not that that's the end of it. That's the start of it, the start of a really hard process. But I think he's the kind of player you can build that sort of thing around eventually. Keeping Elias Pedersen or
1: doing what you can to keep him shouldn't be controversial. It's just that you can't keep him and then keep banging your head against the wall. No. He needs to be into understanding where this team is at. And by the way,
0: he does anyway. We are going to take a break. Up next, our pal, Gemma Karsten It is Canucks
3: Talk, Sportsnet 650.
0: Welcome back to Canuck's Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Canuck's Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota All-Star team, Avenue AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthodox provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. As always, at this time on Monday, very pleased to be joined by our friend, she covers the Canucks for the Canadian Press, Gemma Karsten-Smith. Gemma, we took last week off, turned out to be a poor decision on our part because despite having the week off, the team still made major news with the Bo Horvat trade. Uh, Missed chatting with you last week.
3: How are you? Uh, Well, I missed you guys. Um, I'm sad that I didn't get to go anywhere and try to desperately cover um, the biggest news um, of this team in, I don't know, a week (laughs) <laughs> um from palm springs or wherever but um yeah yeah i uh it, i'm glad we get to break it all down right yes.
0: now. yes again no no shortage ever of, of great quotes uh, to be chewed over here and uh we'll start I, I mean i'm so used to introducing him as the captain and he's not he is no longer a member of the vancouver canucks he's a new york islander but we will start uh today with Bo Horvat.
3: We can just call him very rich man. <laughs>
0: yes.
3: Um, so here he is uh, after the trade, which is a full week ago now. It seems like there's been a lifetime since. But anyway, here he is talking about how difficult the season has been so far and what he's looking forward to um, with a fresh start in uh, Long Island.
0: There was a, a lot going on this year, to say the least. And and it hadn't been, hasn't been an easy year, um, you know, dealing with uh, – with just everything that that's gone on and, and, and happened and, um, for it to kind of, well, it's not, uh, again, it hasn't sunk in yet, but, um, you know, I'm sure when, when this is all over and, and, uh, it starts to sink in, I'm definitely
1: going to have a, a little bit of weight off the shoulders and, um, you know, just, uh, you know, fresh start and, and, uh, and get ready to, to go with, uh, with New York. So, um,
2: again, I'm just really excited.
0: Yeah, you know, it was interesting, Gemma, because the trade happens and then we have the All-Star festivities, which Bo Horvat is front and center at and Elias Pettersson is there as well. And it feels like we've had a lot of chance to kind of talk about this and hear from some of the principals involved before, you know, Bo Horvat's played a game or the Canucks have played a game since.
3: I know, he hasn't even played a game for the Islanders he signed an eight-year deal. That's (laughs) insane. My husband husband was pointing out to me that, like, the NHL is the only league where this happens, where you work so hard to um, become a free agent and, like, get that privilege to negotiate on your own, and then you just sign a massive deal before you even get there. Like, it doesn't happen in the NBA or MLB. It's just a weird thing. But, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy that uh, after everything that's happened, Bo Horvat has yet to play um, a game for the Islanders. And one of his first games later this week is going to be against the Canucks. Everything is weird. I I always say time is a flat circle. Um, And it's just, it's been a crazy season. It continues to be crazy.
1: How pointed do you read that commentary as being from Bo? Yeah,
3: I, I think that as he's dealt with so much this year. Um, I think that you could hear it in his voice a little bit, that it's just been like uh, wearing on him. Um, I think that he is relieved beyond all relief to just have this behind him and be able to like look forward and, and build a new life, you know, like he gets to, to build new relationships with his teammates. He gets to, be whatever whatever role he's going to play with the Islanders. But he also gets to leave this behind. This has been very taxing. Um, there's no way that it couldn't have been taxing. Just from the moment that the Canucks signed the JT Miller deal, I think this has been wearing on him. Um, and to have it over with has to be the most massive relief.
1: Do you think it was a crash course in how different life is about to be that 15 minutes after his extension is announced the Brooklyn Nets trade Kyrie Irving. And all of a sudden he's like fourth page news in his own market.
3: Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Also pretty amazing. Lou Lamro's quote about it being too much money and too long. (laughs) Um, I would hate to cover the Islanders because I would, like, dealing with all the Lou Lamarillo stuff would drive me absolutely batty, but, like, that quote was money. Um, yeah, (laughs) but also, like, good for Bo for negotiating that kind of a deal off of such a huge season. He's, he's worked hard, um, he's changed things about his game, and it's paying off, like, literally paying off. He went and got that bag, so good for him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's how a lot of Canucks fans feel as well, even if there's some uh, some sadness that it's not here. At least he he went out and he earned that massive, massive deal for him and his family. You know, you mentioned that he was probably relieved for it to be over and still, you know, with a month before the deadline. Do you think there's an element from the Canucks' perspective as well that, hey, they're happy they uh, they got this taken care of? Because they've taken care of a lot of business over the last couple of weeks here between Boudreaux, Kuzmenko, and now Horvat
3: yeah I think um they are going to be very excited that entire front office to like get to the end of the season and and maybe have a break, but I mean, the work doesn't stop like look at how much work still needs to be done with this team there's it's just like constant, and there's still a lot to do yeah that's the that was the big trade chip, and they got what they said they wanted. We'll get into that in a moment, but um, I think that there's obviously still a lot of calls to be made a lot of discussions to be had over the next month i don't think that we're we've seen the last trade um before the deadline uh i think that there will probably be my guess would be two more but um who knows
0: can i can I put you on the spot and put names to those yeah. two yeah <laughs> can I be really I think,
3: mean <laughs> yeah absolutely i think that uh i Shen will go. Yes, um, I think. Uh, I think that's the very easy one, and I I think that we're going to see Besser go too. All
0: right, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll yeah. check back in on that post uh, post trade deadline on the Gemma. Carson I could be Smith very prediction. wrong. Prediction. Well, no, don't don't hedge. <laughs>
3: <laughs> this is Sports Talk Radio,
0: Gemma. You got to go all in. Go all in with the hot Keep take. All the takes. Yeah. All
3: the
0: takes, yeah. uh, But um, spe- speaking of the work the front office has to do, we've been hearing a lot more from Patrick Alvine. You know, Jim Rutherford has been good to his word so far from that legendary press conference. He's he's letting Patrick Alvine do more of the talking, and uh, he is the source of your next clip.
3: I also have to say that we're only like 15 days into <laughs> um, the new regime yeah. where he zips it. So we'll see how long we But yes, for 15 days, he has zipped it. Um, the Canucks <laughs> got a protected first-round pick and forwards uh, Anthony Bavillier and Ati Achy- Rotti back in uh, the Horvat trade. Let's listen into uh Alvin talk about that return.
0: Uh, you can look at it that we got uh, actually three first-rounders back here. Um I think it was uh, important for us to get our first-round pick back. Um, We've got a young prospect in in Adorati, and again, we're getting a 25-year-old young player in uh, Antonio uh, Bovillier back here. Gemma,
1: are you buying what he's selling there?
3: Um, Which? Did he rename him Antonio?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think Tito. Tito is what he's typically gone by. Tito Bovillier. Yeah.
3: Love it. So I That's wonder
1: great. I wonder if I wonder if that was just a like if he'd heard Tito and thought it was mm. but maybe it is Antonio Bovilla. I don't know. I mean I've I've only <laughs> ever heard Tito or Anthony.
3: That's amazing. Anyway. Uh am I buying way Sally? No. Nope. Um <laughs> <laughs> I think that saying you got three first rounders back is very optimistic, but it's also a massive stretch. Um it's just not it's it's not right. Like It's just not factually correct. Um, I think that these are pieces that could uh, complement the Canucks, for sure. Um, and I think that w- now that we've seen the Horvat extension, we know like it wasn't money the Canucks have. Uh, it's not money that Vancouver was willing to spend. It's not money that it could spend. So it's, it's a deal that had to be done. This is what they said they wanted in return: a first-round pick, a young guy um, who can play now, and then a prospect. So, I mean, technically, yes, you got what you wanted. But to just to call it three first-round picks is. Um, <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah. As you said, it's just like from a factual level, it's not correct because Radu was yeah. a second round pick. And if you want to say like, oh, well, he was should have been a first round pick, then then you're getting pretty uh, pretty out there in terms of uh, taking poetic license with it. But, you know, as you mentioned, OK, this is kind of a classic deadline deal for a star player, right? First round pick prospect young ish, although, you know, at 25, I don't know if we're calling that young in the NHL anymore, but young ish mm-hmm. roster player. But I did think it was interesting because we'd also heard not necessarily specifically with Bo Horvat, but just in general with the Canucks making moves that there was going to be more of an emphasis on guys who could come in and help them right now and in particular guys who could come in and help them, you know, at key positions like center or on the blue line. They didn't get that. I was kind mm-hmm. of pleasantly surprised that it was a more of a future focused, future oriented return. Uh what did you think about that?
3: Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. It's a future-focused return, and I think that says a lot about where the team's at this season. Um, I yeah, everyone's given up. (laughs) uh, It's coming into focus that there is not a a whole lot of hope for the what is it like thirty-nine games? Thirty-three, I believe. Thirty. So thank goodness. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah, I don't think that. I I think that that's what this says, that this is focused on the future. I like that there's not a lot of term left on Beauvilliers' deal. So if it doesn't work out, it's not a massive issue, uh, not tied to a a, a big albatross contract like we've seen in the past. Um, And we'll get into this later, but I think is could be a great great piece moving forward. So um, things could play out really well. Uh, I just, again, still not three first-rounders.
0: <laughs> yes, no. And look, I mean, it's not about... It's not about the rest of the season, as you said. We know that very clearly now. But the guy who is going to start playing for them right away is Anthony Bovillier, Tito Bovillier. We'll see. We'll see if we so, get sorry. clarification.
3: Can I ask
1: one more about the, that clip? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> <you're> not. <laughs> um, Gemma, w- what do you think the point... Like, what was he trying to convey? What was he trying to sell the market on? Was it just trying to be a... This is a home run trade for us, in our opinion. Like, you know, it it almost reminded me a little bit of the commentary that, like, we decided today to remove Bruce Boudreau from the head coaching job when we'd known for weeks it was coming. It's like, um, like, does he does he is it serious? Like, does he think the public is buying these lines?
3: I do think he thinks that if. How do I put this nicely? I think that he believes if he says them, he's speaking them into existence. How's mm. that? Uh, it doesn't mean that he believes it to be entirely correct. But if I say this, this is what the market will glom onto. This is you know? what gets repeated. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I, I we're here talking we about it. We repeated it. it. So. <laughs>
0: We played the clip. There you go. He's
3: not wrong. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> in conversation with Gemma Carson-Smith from the Canadian Press here on Canucks Talk and uh, Anthony Beauvillier, who, as I said, you know, going to be in the lineup tonight when they play the New Jersey Devils. Not the most, you know, exciting uh, piece they got in return for Horvat from a long-term perspective, but the guy who we will see right away. And he had a chance to speak to the media and uh, that's where our next clip comes from, Gemma.
3: hmm So he was... Bavilia's really been a little bit up and down throughout his career. His best season was 1920, where he put up 18 goals and 21 assists in 68 games. And then this season has been tougher. Um, he's had just 20 points in 49 games. So let's hear him uh, talk about his NHL career thus far.
0: I feel like I've uh, you know had some good uh, years to start and kind of slowed down the last uh, two seasons. But um, I feel like my uh, my numbers doesn't really they don't really speak for the way I've been playing this year, just had a lot of opportunities and just didn't really could find the back of the net, I would say. What do you expect to see from Anthony Beauvillier for uh, the remainder of the season here, Gemma?
3: I think the fact that he's, it looks like he's in the lineup with Patterson and Kuzmenka, at least to start, is promising. Um, that's, that line shows that Talkett has faith, that his newest addition has more to give than he's shown this year, right? Um I think the entire Islanders' offense has struggled this season. It's been well documented, and he's obviously been a part of that. So do I think he's going to be Bo Horvat? Absolutely not. Do I think that he has more to give? Yeah, probably. Um, And I think if he's playing with Patterson and Kuzmenko, uh, that's the best opportunity he has on this team to show that.
1: What sort of window into his confidence level? Like, it, it seemed like, despite him recognizing that the production hasn't been there, you know, that was a, as confident a framing as you could get from a player who's, you know, only got nine goals this season and whose production has taken sort of a two year step back. Wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I very much agree. He went on in um, in that answer to say that he's looking forward to refining his game in Vancouver, that he really believes that he has more to give. Um, and he was also asked if he feels like he has, has something to prove. Uh, and he said that you've always got something to prove as an NHL player. It doesn't matter where you're at In terms of your production, you've always got more to give because there's always more people coming, right? So um, I think that he is confident that he has more. I think he's confident that uh, this is going to be a good move for him. Um, And uh, I'm intrigued to see how it plays out in New Jersey tonight.
0: Well, and it's interesting too, Gemma, because, you know, on the one hand, it's another... Relatively expensive, kind of not star winger, which the Canucks have a lot of, as we've all talked about. But <laughs> you know, we also know how much Jim Rutherford and Patrick Galvin value speed, and they don't have that with Brock Besser. They don't have that with Connor Garland. Guys, they inherited. You know, they go out and add Ilya Mikheyev, and we even we heard Rick talk it today in New Jersey talk about yeah, Beauvillier is a guy who can really help them stretch the defense. And you know, I wonder. If I kind of look at it, like, let's say they trade Brock Besser and they use Anthony Beauvillier to kind of fill that role, that's kind of a lateral move in my book. But I wonder if because it's just a different type of player, it's a type of player they value a lot more, if if they see it as something that could actually move the needle for them.
3: For sure. I think so. I think it's a lot of spaghetti at the wall at this point. Um, just see what sticks, right? Uh, and uh, because he's on a shorter-term contract, because uh, it was basically... I, I know they're retaining 25% of Bo's salary, but like kind of money in, money out yeah. type mm-hmm. thing. So uh, I, I basically, why not try it, you know? Um, and like you said, like it's, his speed could be, I, I don't, I haven't, I, I will readily admit to not having watched uh, Anthony Pavilion terribly closely. Um, I'm just not a huge uh, watcher of the New York Islanders for some, some strange reason. <laughs> um but yeah, so I'm intrigued to see what he brings, especially, and they, they were supposed to bring in speed with Mikheyev. That obviously didn't work out. We, don't, we haven't even touched that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, so it, maybe this is where they find that. That's something that Rutherford and Alvin have said since they got here, that this team needs to get faster, that they need to add speed. So it seems to be something that they're continuing to look for um, when they're making these deals.
0: Last clip of the week, Gemma, from uh, one of the other pieces. Well, the other piece that, you know, is a, is a real player and not hypothetical at this point. Atu or Atu, who has started playing for the Abbotsford Canucks. What are we about to hear from him?
3: Yeah, so we're just uh, going to hear what he thinks about joining as the, NH- or the AHL club instead of coming up to the NHL team.
1: Uh, yeah, really, really excited to kind of play there. New new teams for me. I've kind of in the in the American League, I've only played the played the ones that are kind of in the in the division that, that breach board was in. So yeah, really
3: excited.
0: Ratu is a really interesting player. You know, his trajectory from a guy who was hyped to be a potential top five pick, second round pick, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, the thing that stands out to me is we've already seen them send Jack Rathbone, Vasily Podcals and Niels Hoglander, Niels Oman all down to AHL at different points this year they are obviously very happy with the job, with the work that's happening in Abbotsford. And I wonder what, what effect that's going to have on Ratu and his game.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I'm i hoping that what they do is let him get overly ripe in Abbotsford. Um, I hope that they just let him play it out down there, that they don't bring him up at all this season, that he just plays in Abbotsford. Um they see, like you said, they seem to be having uh, good success in terms of building something there. Jeremy Colliton seems to have done a, a good job of uh, making that team an actual team um, that plays together. Um, so I'm, I think that the best move for Ratty is to just stay there for the rest of the year, um, go chase the Calder Cup, and see what happens. I think uh, bringing him up to the NHL club is could. Um, under his development, and we've seen that happen too many times with uh, Canucks prospects. So I was really impressed with Raddy when I saw him at the World Juniors last summer in Edmonton, and I, I really do think that he could be a good piece for the Canucks going forward. I just think that the AHL is the best spot for him right now.
1: Gemma, with the three players that the Canucks called up, right? Pod Colson, Giuseppe, and Amon, um, Hoaglander feels like a bit of an omission based on mm-hmm. what he's done at the NHL level. Uh, what do you think the club's getting at there? Why do you think he wasn't included with the other three?
3: That's a great question. I have no answer. <laughs> um, but I, I I think that they just want to see more from him. Mm. Um, I... My name is not Chris Faber, so I've not been watching the Abbotsford Canucks uh <laughs> Nor have we. No, no worries. <laughs> we all leave that to Babe and yep. he does a great job of it. Um, almost as great a job as wearing a uh, chain over a turtleneck. <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyway, oh, I think that... Such this, a good outfit. It's, it really is. It looks like a freaking rock. That's it's amazing. amazing. Um, <laughs> such a digression. But uh, I think that Hoaglander, they want to see more from him. He lost all confidence when he was up with the NHL club this when he started the season with the NHL club so I think that they just are trying to rebuild that and trying to reshape parts of his game so I think I don't know that we see him again with the with the big Canucks this season Um, and if we don't then I just hope that that's something that really helps him build and uh, and get back to the first team to use a soccer term, um, moving forward here.
0: Gemma, always really appreciate the time. Happy to get back at it this week, and we will chat with you in a week's time.
3: Thanks, guys. Have a great week.
0: That is Gemma Gemma Karsten-Smith doing a fantastic job covering the Canucks for the Canadian press, Uh, and always pleased to chat with her every Monday here on Canucks Talk. An interesting point. You know, I mean, to tie your question about Hoaglander and her point about Ratu and hoping that they kind of are extraordinarily patient and let him become overripe in Abbotsford, it's possible that's what's at play with Niels Hoeglander as well, right? Just like, yeah, hey, we're not trying to win. We're not trying to win right now, so give him as much time as possible to work on his details in Abbotsford.
1: Well, or the idea that a guy who probably has to play a little higher up your lineup, mm-hmm. right? To to I, I don't believe that personally, but you could understand why they'd look at Pud Colson Di Giuseppe and Oman as like guys who could be in our bottom six next year. So let's get them up and get them familiar. Whereas Hoaglanders, maybe a bit of a higher upside guy needs to produce a little more if he's going to be a fixture. So let him keep soaking up premium yeah. minutes.
0: And it could be a simple, I mean, I don't, Oman was there for a shorter time than Hoaglander, but Puck Holzen was there pre predated Hoaglander, I believe. But also it's, what, right?
1: what benefit does a guy who's probably like his absolute ceiling is a third line center in Neal's the NHL. Oman? Yeah. Yeah. Like 100 oh, like, percent that would be a fantastic result for Neil Zaman right if you if you get you know the the latter day Sammy Paulson out of S-
0: Neil Zaman oh you gosh. are laughing you're doing backflips backflips yeah. right
1: so but I'm just saying it's a totally different thing yeah. whereas with Hoaglander, I think you could be hoping for uh, you know a legit uh, top six guy a latter day Matt Zuckerello there you go and, and again it's like <laughs> they obviously I don't Let's think it going. was just I, I can do this all day Jamie.
0: Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> Whatever. Zuccarello is still, like, having success in the league. That's not that deep a pull. <laughs> no, Sammy
1: Paulson. <laughs> yeah, but Zuccarello never played for the Canucks.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, with Hoglander, I mean, I don't think they send him down just for the sake of sending him down. Right? Like, there's obviously specific things they want him puck to management. work on. Yeah. So, Specifically, it's puck management yeah. and some defensive
1: zone positioning, cutting off the top, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So, hey, yeah. work on that a little more. That's fine. You uh, got you got a fun guy, in Atu Ratu, to play with now. Great. Yeah, doesn't matter. Awesome. Also, cool.
1: he's been you know playing the bumper on the power play. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on there, and I still wonder if Hoglander, like at some point, I wonder if they have to consider spending from their surplus of wingers to get like a like player who happens to be a center or a defenseman. You you'd, you'd yeah. think you'd think you'd
0: y- yeah. It's just. It's just really hard to do without taking a huge upside differential. Yeah. Right? Because it's true. Teams value the centers and defensemen so highly. Like, you'd like to do that, but it's the hardest position to kind of deal from a surplus. Except that lots of
1: people would view Hoaglander as, like, ready now.
0: Sure. Right. So you might be able to get a guy who's a couple years behind because. Yeah. And and that's how you make up the difference. That's interesting. We will see. uh, We're going to hear from head coach Rick Tockett in the next segment. Canucks playing, of course, the New Jersey Devils. Later this afternoon, so we'll hear from it. take more of your texts as well, 650-650. it 650. Uh, is Canuck's Talk here on Sportsnet 650.
1: What's up? <laughs> You're listening to Canuck's Talk <laughs> on Sportsnet 650. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk, final segment of the show on a Canucks game day. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here, live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. You know when you have a bike
1: route that you use a lot? Sure. And then you get used to the hills and they're not even a problem? Yes, yes. But if you're doing it for the first time, you're like, oh, this is terrible. That's what. At the end of the day, that's how I feel today. I
0: feel like (laughs) we haven't done the show, and
1: I'm struggling,
0: man. You forgot how much you disliked working with me?
1: No, dude. You are a teammate I I respect.
0: We've had our differences in the past, but someone
1: I respect. You're a teammate I respect.
0: Wow, thank you. What a vote of confidence. (laughs) Um... before we hear from uh before we hear from Rick Tockett, we were talking about Neil Hoaglander there and a lot of people texted in uh the two games until waiver eligibility thing as a reason why he is still playing with the uh with the Abbotsford Canucks and I, I mean, mean I don't know well it it see that would make that would fuel in my mind
1: anyway the like is that a move you consider if you can get you know and I'm just going to pull a name out like a random name this is not like real speculation so please ignore me to some extent, but a guy like um, Caden Korshak, right? Who plays with the Henderson um, silver Silver Knights Knights. and, you know, right-handed defenseman, exact same age, little bit behind Hoaglander. No contender would view him as a guy they could plug into their lineup, but there might be something there. Like, you know, Vegas we know is getting thin on the wings. Like could that be something you consider, right? A player like that, something in that mold Is that something that would make sense, you know, as just a consideration? And if it were, would Hoaglander's marketability be impacted by the fact that for now he's below the line, right? And being below the line um, has a ton of benefits in that you can trade him while he's below the line. Right. Right? Whereas if he comes back up, plays two games, first of all, you're not going to risk losing him on waivers. But also if you trade him to a team that doesn't want him in the NHL, they can't either – And then there's all sorts of different cap calculation things, too. You might also be wanting to retain his eligibility for the AHL playoffs, right? You have to be on the roster, right, at the time of the trade deadline, captures a snapshot, and then you're eligible to play in the AHL playoffs. So maybe you keep him down until after the deadline, then you can give him some NHL games and send him back down. That one makes a ton of sense So like, There's a lot of considerations. Below the line, above the line matters a lot. As you approach the deadline, you know we'll get uh, we'll get Jay Wall on the uh, on the line in the next week or two, and we can discuss
0: it. Very good idea. Um, right now, let's hear from the Canucks head coach Rick talkett speaking to the media before the game in New Jersey.
2: It's only been a couple of weeks in the job, but how's the transition going? How's the no, thing- it's good. It's it's uh, you know it's been, it, the first week. It was uh, especially the last couple of days after the break. Uh, I got to meet with the coach for a three days straight, which really helped. I've been whining a bit, no practice time, so uh, that's the only thing that sucks is, and, and other teams go through the same thing, but yeah, it's, uh, but it's good to have the players had their break and uh, rest their mind.
0: And it was good for the coaching staff too, I guess, because you had a chance to kind of really hammer out what you want to, what you expect, what
2: you're looking for from the guys. Yeah, you gotta be careful because you can't throw too much information to the players, but we, we have really those three days after the, our game against Columbus spent three good days. It was almost like a kind of a coach's clinic. Um, that really helped. Uh, but now for the stretch drive.
1: Rick, is uh, Beauvillier going to play on that top line, and what do you what do you expect from
0: him here, his first game?
1: Yeah,
2: I watched him against the uh, uh, the Pittsburgh series when uh, he played the playoffs, and uh, you know he's a pressure type of guy where he uh, he gets on the pucks, he, he he gets loose pucks. I think he can score more. I think here that uh, we're going to put him in positions where he can score, but he's just an energy guy. You know, it's it's a it's a holdout that we plug here uh, with the Canucks and uh, a guy that can really take off in the neutral zone. You know, stretch the D. I think that's something that we're looking for from him.
1: What do you see in this Devils team that's uh, the biggest yeah. challenge?
2: Well, I think a uh, very skilled team, big defense. I mean, that's a pretty good recipe in the playoffs, right? You know, when you play big defensemen long um, and they got, you know, obviously Jack Hughes is a star. Uh, they got some good scores. Uh, you know, Lindy and his staff got these guys playing really well. It's a, it's a it's a, good measuring stick for us, playing a team like this.
3: Can we anticipate Colin in, in net tonight?
0: To, to... Uh,
2: yes. We... yes, yes, yes,
0: yeah. Outside of looking in, uh, you know, what, what is your thoughts on, uh, on, on Lindy Roth and, and just sort of the season he's had, and, and what can you take away from him, uh, you know, to, to establish your uh, coaching career?
2: Yeah, I just, I, I like their staff, Bruno there with Lindy. Um, you know, they, they have a really good staff, um, and you can tell the way they're playing. Um, that those guys have influenced the way they play, their system. Uh, Lindy's been in this game a long time. You've seen it all. And, uh, you know, even when times were tough, he didn't get rattled. That's what I like about Lindy. You know, he just stayed with knew who he was, and, and I think that really helped uh, their team knowing how calm he was. Yeah, I know every new
0: coach has to go through it a bit, but how do you balance what you want to do and the type of style that you want to play with the, the personnel that you have right now and the style that they were, that they were playing?
2: Yeah, I, 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 well, it comes to everybody wants the result, but you know, you got to be part of the process. And I think, you know, the Devils have gone through a process to get the results they're getting now. It's uh, no different than us. You know, we're we want results, but I'm not worried about the results. I'm worried about the process. And I know that's the most overused word. We all use it, coaches, but it's true. You know, the way you deal practices, the way you deal day to day, how do you make young guys a perfect, you know, be a pro, a real pro? It's a process. You know, you just. You can 't just say, "Hey, we want to win games there's so much into it, so I think you know this organization of the devils have they 've gone through it you know <laughs> the last three, four years to get to their their point where they are.
1: but Colson is a kid tremendously talented. it just seems like he hasn't been able to stick from video that you 've watched and talking to him. What does he need to do, Rick, to really kind of you know earn his keep
2: he's a He's a heavy guy he's a, he, to me he's a give and go. He's an inside player, so that's our job to develop into that. You know, that's what he is. Uh, I want him to be a real heavy guy along the boards, you know, a, a moose around the net. Uh, that's, I think that's why, that's why they drafted him. So I think he's done a nice job in the minors and calling him up. We need that in this organization. We need wall players. We need guys that can play inside, and he's a guy that we have to develop into that role.
0: That is Canucks head coach, Rick Tockett, before his team plays the New Jersey Devils. Of course, you'll be able to hear it all here on Sportsnet 650. Canucks Central coming up a little earlier than normal right after our show, Uh, ending with his thoughts on Vasily Podkolzin, what he expects to see from him. A couple of interesting things in there. One, and this touches on a conversation we had earlier in the show, but the the line from Tockett, I'm not worried about results, I'm worried about the process. And then he then goes on to say, you know, he kind of doesn't like the word process, but... He's still saying that's what it's all about from this stage. And, you know, just to hear I again, like it's a low bar, but I think it's refreshing to hear a key person in this organization just come right out and say, This is not about results the rest of the way. Like and that that gets to the issue that you and I have talked about so much with various lame duck coaches over the last couple of years. It could never be about the process with Travis Green or Bruce Boudreau in their final moments with the Canucks because no. they weren't afforded that opportunity. Talk it has that opportunity. Well, and there's alignment, finally, right,
1: between management mm-hmm. and the coach for the first time since when? Like the bubble? <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah. It's, Honestly, it's, it's been a, been long, a long time. time. And, I, and I think there are real advantages that accrue to that. Now, you know, the process that the New Jersey Devils – because I, I don't hate the word process. Rick Tockett. No, I mean... Rick Tockett always captions, like, he's like... You know, uh, he likes it. Like, he knows... He just, like... I think he th- he feels silly saying it. It's one of those it things. It can
0: become... It's so like, the, I
1: believe in it, but... the
0: de- Okay, the distinction between process and results is really important, right? And you have to be attuned to what the actual process is, rather than just what the end results are. Because that's what's going to ultimately lead you to where you want to go. That's a really important distinction to make. I think... I kind of get what he's saying, though, where it can become... It can grate if you're constantly just saying process, 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 right? Like I think that's what he's trying to guard against from it becoming just kind of this this kind of knee-jerk mantra you have rather than the actual intellectual distinction underlying it. You know, that that would be my interpretation sure. of where he's coming from. Sure.
1: I, I you know, for
0: me though, it's interesting to hear him talk about it because
1: he's talking about it from such a coach's perspective. So actually a pretty narrow set of considerations. Habits, mm-hmm. right? And talking about New Jersey having gone through it. Well, the fact is, is the process New Jersey has gone through is about so much more than the way they play, right? Like, it, it, it's not just about a group learning to win together under Lindy Ruff and, you know, bringing in Andrew Burnett, who has added some nitrous to their attack, right? It's it's also about the fact that they, for years, avoided bad contracts on july 1 like every year right they they managed to if they made a mistake it was like a thomas tatar one you know what i mean where it's like three years as opposed to and for a good player like a guy who's playing really well helping them a lot right but also but also is always a good player like he's always a 50-ish point guy thomas tatar by the way is my favorite besser comp like this is what i think people miss when they talk about brock besser like he's not fast enough it's like thomas tatar (laughs) he's not a 30 goal scorer it's like thomas tatar like 25-goal, 50-point guy, big mm-hmm. body, smart. Guess what? Those guys carve out long NHL careers and can help good teams win, particularly if you get them at the right number, right? I mean, to me, Besser's always been that style of of, of top six guy. I've been dropping that comp for like three years. Uh, anyway, sorry, that, that another digression from, from me today. Um, like I said, biking uphill. <laughs> <laughs> um, with, uh, with regards to the Devils, though, I mean – Cap space draft picks, like the Devils are almost the model of what we've been talking about, with well, the exception that it took a little longer than I think it needs to, in part because, in my view, anyway, um, their goaltending let them down. Like they should have arrived last year or even the year before, but their goaltending was so bad that they that they it was delayed further. Like that that to me, like the Devils. And they benefited from that. They benefited from that further delay. I mean, they'll benefit even more once they get Nemich in the lineup. Mm-hmm. But to me, the devils are like avoid avoid mistakes, save cap space, trade draft picks for um Well yeah, the
0: like the two big notable things. Yeah. Now I don't want to sell at the deadline. Talk it is talking from a coach's oh, I'm perspective not criticizing so him, exactly yeah. like, he's going to focus on all of those coaching day-to-day things totally and i'm sure that there has been a process with yeah Hesher and hughes and you know etc learning more about how to win at the nhl of course there has but it's a bigger thing the big the, the other two things that have happened though have been you know going out and acquiring john marino right uh and you could throw ryan graves dougie uh, hamilton uh, certain, not ryan graves yeah no right yeah, excuse graves. me uh back into that mix dougie hamilton and then you know, they actually have above-average goaltending this year. Like, yeah, last do. year, it was, like, atrocious. Like, 20 points below
1: league average. Well, and, and it was like they kept doing this approach where they weren't going to go spend in the top bin. You know what I mean? Like, they weren't chasing your Markstrom-level guys, right? They were chasing Jonathan Bernier, Vitali Vanacek, right? Like, they were chasing the mid-tier guys, and they just waited for it to click. And, you know, the Bernier story, also, the devastating injury, mm-hmm. there, right? But And then Blackwood's sort of flatlining as a prospect. But nonetheless, you know, they were content to treat goalies as relatively fungible, even as they spent significantly in free agency to try and find an answer. And finally, they did for like a mid-round pick. But again, you sell at the deadline and you're disciplined about, you know, Parise and Taylor Hall and all those guys they sent out. And all of a sudden you have a boatload of assets to use when it matters to get your graves, to get your you know, on and on down the line to get your band a check. And look, it's, it's really impressive, the team that they put on the ice. And I think why I'm focusing on that is I'm a little nervous that the balance of the season and going into the summer, there's going to be this idea that with systems play and, like, accountability and, like, this is partly why I'm a little nervous, too, about, like, the Pedersen-Hughes-empowered-as-leaders mm-hmm. storyline. Like, all this stuff that fundamentally to me doesn't matter as much as your defense can't move the puck. Like your defense can't move the puck. Your defense can't move the puck. What does this team need? Defense that can move the puck. Like, I'm sorry. It's really simple. It's been really simple for two, three years. And I'm done having another conversation. Like you need to build a defense that can move the puck. And if you can't, then you need to rebuild so that you have the space and flexibility to build a defense that can move the puck. Like, I I don't know,
0: so I just yeah. don't, I don't want to confuse. them no, it's just it's just like with New Jersey. The other stuff, the stuff that talking is they're talking about, matter. it matters. Yeah, hundred percent, and it matters with the Canucks too. But right? it doesn't matter until you have a defense that can it move the It Only puck. matters though, like <laughs> to ultimately matter, you have to have the talent. Like yes. talent matters the most, right? You build those other things to help get talent above, you know, to the ultimate threshold. You're never going to, you're not going to compensate for a, a fundamental lack of talent with those things. You know? Right. You you have to have the talent. Then all of those other things start to really kick in and become well, important.
1: Well, And the margins are desperately important, right? Like, you need to have every edge of the margins because hockey is a super variable sport with a playoff structure that doesn't particularly uh, effectively reward the most talented team, right? I mean, health, deflections, mm-hmm. puck luck, like, all of these factors outside of a team or an individual's control shape champions, shape the outcomes, and obviously the Stanley Cups at the top of the pyramid of what Everyone wants to see in this market and every other around the NHL. But to get there, you know, you need so much else to go right. You also need every possible edge of the margins to load the dice so that, you 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 know, you give yourself the best possible chance of getting the luck you need when it matters. And I don't want to take away from the importance of that. It's just that for a team in Vancouver's position, the margins have to be ignored. For the big picture. Like, the big picture just matters more here. And and I sort of, I guess, not rebel against it, but I just have this knee-jerk reaction when I hear sort of marginal chatter around this team, even even while recognizing, as you said, how vital it is. Yeah, it and matters vital, eventually. And how vital it should be. You know, like, and let me give you some examples. Like, Neil Zaman, Ethan Bear, right? Like, some of the pro scouting work that this front office has done, right? Identifying Mikhaev as a guy who's, offense has found a durable like some of the pro scouting stuff we've seen like at the margins the Tyler Mott trade at the margins there's a lot of work that this front office has done that I actually quite like yeah but the big picture stuff has been off like to the point of being difficult to square with anything resembling a coherent plan and uh and so so I just don't want to fall into that we can't We have to push back on that, I think, you know, in that, like, systems can't make this defense move the puck. I I fundamentally disagree with that. This defense is not adequate. This defense is far away. And you're going to see it tonight when you see win or lose, because the Canucks can always win. It's hockey. Of course. I think they're only, what, like, plus 220? Plus
0: 205,
1: I think I saw. So they're only plus 200. Yeah, they're plus 205. You know, it's like, it's not, they're dogs, but they're not, like, massive dogs. Um it's hockey, it's variable. They could win tonight. But just pay attention to how the New Jersey Devils move the puck versus what the what the Canucks do. And tell me if you think it's the same sport.
0: What, we It ain't. I, I know we they only play them twice a year, but like we've seen enough New Jersey Devils against the Canucks oh. to like know how it looks. And it's like whoo-hoo. Yeah, it's it's a tough scene sometimes. Uh Mike and Campbell, River Texan. In. Interesting talk. It said New Jersey did the process right, taking three to four years seems opposite of the management and owner's timeline. That's from Mike in Campbell River, well, but... Well, unless that timeline's changed. And we did hear from Patrick Alvian, you know, hey, it's not a quick fix when they were introducing Rick Tocket. So, look, that's one of the things I'm going to be watching, and this is like a very kind of Kremlinology thing that's hard to really get a no, handle but how on. Else,
1: how else would you analyze this franchise at this
0: point? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, was Rutherford... Saying I'm not going to be the one talking about this organi- organization. How much is that purely like public-facing dynamics, and is there a chance that Patrick Alvin has a different, a slightly different timeline in mind than Jim Rutherford, and maybe he's coming more to the foreground now with that? Right, like I don't know. I'm not saying that is the case, but I, I just the don't fact think... that we've heard things that don't necessarily align, right? Yeah. From like you, you pushing Rutherford a little bit, and him being like, "Oh yeah, definitely more faster than three years." to Alvin being like, no, it's not a quick fix. I think there's still some question about what that actually looks like and w- what vision is going to be the one they pursue.
1: Yeah, and I think where we also need to be careful, like just like I was talking about, we have to be careful of not falling into this trap. We have to be careful of not falling into this trap. You know, one thing that happened during the last regime, the the early parts of the Benning era, was that people were like trying to decipher a plan from the moves, mm. right? But sometimes if it's hard to decipher what the plan is, there just isn't one. Yeah. And so, you know, there's been three years is more than like more than enough time. But also it's not going to be a quick fix. How do you square those? What if it's just miscommunication? What if it's just poor communication? Right. Like um, extending Miller and then Kuzmenko and then trading Horvat. Like, how do you square those? What if it's just reactive? You know, at at some point the Occam's razor thing, like I, I just, I just think the, you know, and, and people like to text this in when I, when I go off on this rant, people will say like, sorry, that the organization isn't sitting you down and explaining the plan to you. And it's like, I don't need the plan explained to me. I can see what it is. It's if I can't see what it is that I'm forced to be like, Hey, maybe there isn't one,
0: you know, like the, the burden of proof here is on them. Yeah, and again, I mean, I think it comes down to what we see between now and the deadline, and the big tell to me will be July first, right? You're they're going to have more cap space for net going into next year, right? Well, no, just not signing the Bohorvat deal. Yeah, but but having having brought back Beauvillier and extending Kuzmanko.
1: Yep. No, I mean I, realistically, like short of. For me, it's going to happen before July 1st. It's going to be what they do and what they're willing to do to set themselves up for cap space on the 1st. Because right now, you're looking at something like, you know, it's so hard because we don't know where the cap's going to be. But somewhere between, let's say, 9 and 13 mm. million. That's not, a, that's not a whack of space, particularly given that it doesn't factor in like the QOs for
0: Bear and on and on. Yeah, but I guess for, for me it's like it's if they be... open up that calf space and then just immediately recommit it to you know UFA center X to who they think can help them win next year, like okay, there's your answer, JT Comfort. There, there, we know exactly what the plan is oh, and that's how it goes.
1: Sorry, the the real the real guy who should be popping bottles right now is JT Confer's <laughs> agent. That's the that's the guy who's gonna you know like after Larkin goes off the board, it's like Oscar Sunfist or TJ uh, J, JT Comfort. JT Comfort.
0: yeah very exciting. Uh love free agency. Great way. Great way to build a team um, down the middle. How much
1: how much less has this right-handed defenseman scored than Luke Shen?
0: Uh quick <laughs> quickly before we get out. Uh Gary and Maple Ridge, Texan, when is Thatcher Demko going to play? It's time. We heard from Rick Tockett confirm that Colin Delia will start tonight. Uh that's something I'm very curious about as well. When do we see Thatcher Demko? When he's is it fully, is it on this road trip?
1: When he's like prist- in pristine, obscenely pristine health. Best shape of his life. That's what we're going for but, here. But you know what? Like, there there you go. That's going to earn a golf clap for me, right? Like, slow playing the Demko return. You know, I, I wrote a thing about, like, tearing this down. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the time to looks tear like, down yeah. this team. And I was, I was rereading it over the break, and it was like, trade Bo Horvat proactively well ahead of the deadline. It's like, check. Slow play Demko's return. Check. And then it was, you know, also trade Kuzmenko. Trade under Manco. Manco, yeah. So, nah. and then uh, And then also Luke Shen. And that's the other one that I'm curious to see, because that'll speak volumes. Yeah.
0: Uh, That's going to do it for us today. Good to be back. Don't go anywhere, Drancer. Hold on. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. You can hear the game uh, here on Sportsnet 650. I like run (laughs) away the the second I'm done. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650.